Talk Radio. Center of the world. Latitude zero. Longitude zero. Planned by the Creator. Zoanthropus was the first man found on the Earth. That Earth was the motherland, Africa. We know that without total understanding of what happened in the past, it would be difficult to relate to the future. We know that within the structure of the music, there should be a message, and the message should be truth. So now, we give you Africa, the center of the world. Call in 
to share your thoughts and your ideas as we discuss these topics. You can call 323-679-0841. When you call in, we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So that's the way we do it. So right now, the way we get started with our party right now, we're going to introduce to you today's panelist analyst for Africa on the Moon. First, if we get started with Brother Anthony, we'd like to bring him in right now. And Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Father and Brother Anthony, we will now bring in Brother Haki. We'd like to welcome him as well to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness, and of course, you know my thing is institution building. Uh, one of the things that you know I've been thinking about, Brother Africa, there's a little question around uh, the correlation between COVID-19 and geopolitics. Now, for those individuals who don't understand the nature of geopolitics, geopolitics is simply the means in which Western nations uh, utilize um, strategy for the sole purpose of domination or manipulation or exploitation of other nations' economies and or, or, or leadership. So having said that, I, I want you to check this out, Brother Africa. Um, you know, now, geopolit- now, geopolitics, simply stated, is a methodology employed by Western states to maximize the level of exploitation inflicted upon a nation, ethnic, or cultural group. While geopolitics is often associated with international relations, the reality geopolitics does affect the national population. Case in point, COVID-19. Originally, we were told COVID-19 originated in Wuhan, China. What we were not told was the first person-to-person transmission of the virus happened in the West, specifically the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. Of the 160 original cases, all exposure to COVID-19 happened outside of China. Now, despite this revelation, information was disseminated, placing the blame squarely on China. Months later, ironically, Secretary of State Pompeo intimated the virus origin lies squarely with the West. During a conference in Washington, D.C., he inadvertently blurted out, quote, COVID-19 is a live exercise, end quote. In other words, it's an intelligence operation uh, conducted by the U.S. Now, implication being the State Department and, by extension, the intelligence agency knew China had been maligned, made a scapegoat. But why? Why the deception? In a nutshell, geopolitics. In order the global economy may be restructured, Diversion is a necessary component. In order to better understand the necessity of diversion, we must understand the capitalist obsession with world domination. How to achieve domination of the world was epitomized by two ideologues. On the one hand, Henry Kissinger, the former Secretary of State, and Zygmunt Brzezinski, the former National Security Advisor, both advocated conflicting strategies to achieve Western world domination. Kissinger advocated war on nations who refused to bend to U.S. domination, of course, that would be problematic when you talk about a country like China or Russia, given the military might that they possess. That is simply going to come in and, and, and take them over militarily. So you have other means in terms of trying to coerce them to doing what you want them to do. While Brzezinski advocated a softer approach where persuasion and coercion would be utilized. 
While giving the perception the U.S. would accept a multipolar world in which the U.S. would share a hegemony or power, he understood this was a mere strategy of perception. The ruling elite ultimately agreed with Brzezinski that this is the best approach in terms of ma- control, maintaining the dominance of the world. In 2001, China was allowed access to the World Trade Organization. In addition to membership, Western banks flooded China with capital or money for investments. While Western industrialists closed down factories, particularly in the U.S., and sent them to China. This strategy was a big success in that China's economy achieved economic growth that was unprecedented. Growing on average between 10 and 15% yearly, capitalists were convinced the seeds of corruption had been planted and a rich harvest for the wealthy in both U.S. and China would avail, would come to being. However, in 2012, President Xi, Xi shocked the U.S. officials when he proclaimed China to be autonomous, that China would control its own foreign policy, be, be it trade or otherwise. This was the beginning of war. For China to actually say that we're, 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 we're independent, we're autonomous, uh, clearly was a slap in the face of U.S. officials whose who position is that the U.S. has a fundamental right in terms of ruling the world. And so by President Z actually saying that, it, it kick-started a war. Now, in order to kick-start this war, on February 20th, February 2020, U.S. officials manipulated the stock market to ensure $6 trillion in value was lost. This manipulation of stock markets was done by eliminating circuit breakers that ensures only a limited number of investors can sell their stocks at any one time. This is done by computer algorithms, and the only way to allow massive selling is to sabotage your computers or to, in fact, destroy, to change those circuit breakers that exist in the system or to make it possible for more than a few number, small number of people to actually uh, uh, sell their stock. Now, this strategy apparently was to send a message to China's leadership that not playing ball would greatly impact China's investments in the U.S. Now, China didn't capitulate. Now, not receiving the response from China that it hoped, the next move for the U.S. was to initiate a trade war with China. Needless to say, the strategy does not work, and in fact, the only casualties inflicted, upon, inflicted were upon the U.S. economy. While China's economy expects a 5% growth, the U.S. is expected to grow at 2% at most. At an insult to injury, two weeks ago, the White House officials were begging China to purchase more U.S. debt. Now, as I mentioned previously, geopolitics does affect nationals, and people in the United States should understand fully the relationship between what happens abroad and what happens inside the country. In the U.S., budgetary deficits impact every facet of state and local government. The recession that uh, we are facing currently, the depression that we are currently facing, is part of a global strategy. According to the Rockefeller Foundation's report entitled Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development Area, four-minute economic upheaval is essential if our objective of global governance or global dominance is to be achieved. The document implies consolidation of power can best be achieved by creating conditions whereby the overwhelming numbers of people are perceived as superfluous or worthless with, with no hope, no jobs, no housing, no education. This despair of the populace can best be achieved by undermining the U.S. economy, indebting society, then privatizing institutions like police and other institutions for maximum control. Isn't this precisely what COVID-19 is doing? Now, my, my pitch to the African community is this. Now, the disconnect between democracy and economic planning is clear. Now, this is all by design. COVID-19 is simply a, a provided cover uh, for those uh, ruling class policies. And the irony is, as human needs increases, excess to resources decreases. As capitalism enacts plans to eliminate non-productive people in society, that is, 
the unemployed, the homeless, the impoverished, the poorly educated, what would be the response of working class community? What would be the response of the African community? Uh, do we really think that for one second that Joe Biden is going to suspend his his uh, uh, his, his benefit of being part of the ruling class for the good of the masses of people? Probably not. So we got some questions to ask ourselves in terms of what are we going to do in terms of our longevity in society. If on one hand you have a, a system in place which is diametrically opposed to your survival, the question becomes: What are you going to do given this 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 this, this this is hard. This hardcore reality. So that's the question I pose to the African community. The question is, what are we going to do? And I close with that, brother Africa. And now again, thanks for having me. Okay, let's move on. Welcome, brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, my, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. All right, panelists, this is what we're going to do. Into our listening audience, you're listening to Africa on the Move. We can come back and we'd like to invite you now to call in, participate in our first segment called What's Going On in Your World and the Community. We're going to do that after this rupture culture break. You listen to Africa on the Move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, to last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. Must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through. My journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters, from Benin to Salvador Bahia, 
scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino! You can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Alive. 
Who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler. Trying to be a people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue in silence or forever be our own down. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake. Argue with the silence but don't let it seal our fate. Fight behind doors but don't ever show our face. Cause if mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. Spill ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause if mom had Twitter. And Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. Spill ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you're looking for be right in front of you. Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new. I said, what if we've been lied to most of our freaking lives? Every year coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right, your arrogance precedes you. What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic. Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry. Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me. A man lay dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who got five on my little bundle of temporary? Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary. Your statistics said by now that I'm going to be dead and buried. But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already. And I march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose. Two different tribes and we fighting the same person. Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us. Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. Welcome you back to Africa on the Move, and right now we will go into the segment, What's Going On In Your World and the Community, and you are welcome to join us by calling 323-679-0841. There have been many things going on this past week, and right now we're going to bring in Brother Anthony and ask him what's going on in his world. In the community, Brother Anthony. Okay, uh, certainly, um, Brother uh, uh, Jacob Blake got shot seven seven times in the back by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, last Monday, and uh, it uh, and it sparked a lot of. Uh, Outrage and anger In the African community Even among uh, You know uh, You know uh, Entertainment and uh, athletic figures Such as The Milwaukee Bucks uh, Basketball team 
which catalyzed uh, a a, a two-day boycott or labor stoppage of the uh, NBA playoffs in reaction to that. And uh, and that had been, and also uh, several other athletes across different sports, such as baseball, uh, women's basketball, and uh, hockey and tennis, uh, you know, uh, showed uh, solidarity, uh, you know, with this particular struggle, which is an unprecedented event in the history of U.S. sports. But uh, it, uh, it 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 is uh, it, the, the, what happened to Brother uh, uh, Blake uh, uh, is a microcosm of what's happening in Africans in the U.S. and seems to have intensified over the last few decades, and it has been going on uh, for many years, ever since the end of chattel slavery. And uh, it seems to uh, be getting worse, and the youth are bearing the brunt of it. And I think, uh, you know, people are increasingly starting to realize that. And, uh, you know, uh, that's the uh, significance behind that, in my view. Also, um, uh, let's see... uh, Donald uh, Trump, um, you know, uh, because of the credibility that he's given uh, due to the position he's in, is confusing the socialism, the issue, uh, the concept of socialism by referring to Biden and uh, Harris as uh, socialists. And uh, he appealed to the sentiments of... um, uh, right-wing uh, Europeans by talking about how uh, how you know the uh, uh, the end of uh, gun rights and um, you know and uh, uh, you know then the Second Amendment would uh, would occur if Biden was elected and uh, and it confused the issue because uh, Biden is by no stretch. Of the uh, of the nation, uh, uh, nation a socialist, and neither is uh, Kamala Harris. So okay, I'll leave it at you, that. Thank you, brother Anthony. Let's go to brother Haki. What's going on in your world in the community? Yeah, let me brother just Haki. piggyback on um, what um, brother Anthony just uh, enumerated, articulated. Uh, one of the things, you know, let me just preface what I have to say. Uh, Prior to what I have to say, let me just preface uh, one thing. The question in terms of the, the, the racial uh, or the racist penetrating of, of the police departments throughout the U.S. is a very real phenomenon. Uh, one of the things, uh, historically, you know, James Coleman, the former uh, FBI uh, director, has been talking about uh, the, the danger in terms of white nationalism for a long, long time, and, of course, no one ever listened. James Ray, the current FBI director, has also been articulating real dangers in terms of proliferation of, of white nationalists and white racists in the police department and the threat of white nationalism to, Amer- to America. So it's very interesting that despite these repeated claims in terms of the problems affiliated with white nationalism and, and potential problems it may create, uh, yet uh, the White House or the Congress have yet to even put into place laws to, to prevent this, this perpetu- uh, excuse me, perpetuation of uh, 
you know, these unwanted uh, uh, elements, you know, uh, in the police departments throughout the U.S. So I think that's very, very interesting. So when we, so when we look at something like the, the, the Jim, James Blake case, it sort of epitomized essentially, you know, what both Comey and Ray were talking about all along. But when I think about this whole James Jacob Blake's uh, case in terms of the shooting in Kenosha, Wisconsin, it, seems, it strikes me as somewhat of a, of a cover-up. One of the things I, I found very, very interesting is they talked about the fact that there was a knife allegedly found uh, on the driver's side floor. Uh, now, interestingly enough, the cops on the scene didn't see a knife. Uh, supposedly, the Division of Criminal Justice, uh, a department of uh, the Kenosha Police Department, apparently in hindsight, uh, found a knife. I find that extraordinary for a couple of reasons. One, I think that, you know, if in fact if he's going to, if he can be involved in domestic dispute, one of the things he, he would probably do is to carry the knife with him because when you're involved in domestic dispute, you don't know what might culminate. I mean, you really don't know. I mean, maybe family might get involved. Maybe someone walk down the street in defense of that young lady might get involved. So you really don't know. So normally what happens is when people involved in domestic disputes, normally if they have a weapon, they're going to carry it with them. So I find it ironic that they're saying that this this knife was, was found on the floor on the driver's side. And keep in mind, the cops who originally investigated, who looked at the car, didn't find a knife. Subsequently, the so-called Division of Criminal Justice did find a knife. So I find it ironic. Uh, at one point, they were actually saying that he admitted that he had a knife on them. And I was, and, and what's interesting about that, if in fact he had a knife on him, the question is, so if he had a knife on him, so at what point did he get rid of the knife if in fact he had a knife on him? According to the young man who, who took the pictures with his, with his camera phone, he didn't see a knife. He didn't see a knife in his hand or on the floor. Or, or, or on the floor. So the, mere, so, the, so the question in terms of this whole question in terms of, of a knife speaks values in terms of the kind of anatomy uh, cover-up, anatomy of a cover-up that's so um, commonplace among you know, the police departments throughout the U.S. In fact, I'm mindful of the, back in the Bronx um, when Amadou Diallo was, was shot at 41 times and he was subsequently hit about in excess of 28 times by the Bronx police. Of course, one of the things they, 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 they said, they, they, when they, they yelled out, uh, you know, to drop the weapon, even though they, they knew he didn't have a weapon. In fact, the vestibule that he was in was well-lighted. One of the things about the vestibules in the Bronx, when you, when you, one of the things that they keep it well-lit, well-lit, because the thing is that when you come into the building, you want to make sure there's no one coming behind you, and so you want to make sure there's enough illumination to ensure that you can see, you know, precisely what's going on. So they could see clearly that he didn't have a weapon on him, but nonetheless, they justified killing him by simply yelling out, uh, drop the weapon. So I'm sensing that when I talk about anatomy cover of a cover-up, I'm sensing that these police and, um, and uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, are engaging in a similar kind of cover-up. So this, but unfortunately, <clears throat> this is commonplace among police in, 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 in the U.S., so it's not a new strategy at all. But also let me add one other thing too, Brother, Brother Africa, and this is important, <clears throat> um, a, separate, a, separate, a separate case. And this is the case of Trey Ford uh, Pellerin, this case in Louisiana. Now, this is a young brother that was shot in the back uh, by, the, by eight police officers. Now, interesting enough, so allegedly he supposed to had <clears throat> uh, uh, threatened some people inside a store. But, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, as opposed to just, you know, with eight, with eight officers, you know, in tow, it seems to me that it's been very easy for eight officers to surround a young man and to assess whether or not, number one, the charges are credible, and secondly, if he was, in fact, a threat to anybody. That didn't happen. What they did was they simply tased him because they continued to walk. And I find that ironic, a simply, you know, the mere fact that, you know, 
detain somebody, then it presupposes that person is a threat. Now, someone walking away to me, and maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm a delusional, but it doesn't seem to me that that constitutes a threat. So this is I said it's very, very you know very, very ironic. And the second thing is about Africa also with respect to tasers. You know, keep in mind that you know this is according to the police the police departments throughout the U.S. themselves. They state that three out of ten of the of the times that you use a taser actually doesn't work. Three out of ten. So, so. So 30% of the time, these tasers don't work. And the problem is that because they don't work, it gives these, these officers um, the, 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 the opportunity to elevate the uh, elevate the, the force, the force level. And so this means that if, the, if, the, if, in fact, the tasers don't work, then the officers can simply conclude that, well, the tasers didn't work, this man must be on some drugs, he must be high, he must be whatever, and justify to, 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 uh, to enhance that, that uh, level of force by uh, concluding with uh, actually shooting an individual. So clearly, you know, uh, if the police know that these things are, are issues, then clearly, you know, uh, they shouldn't be used. But the mere fact that they continue to be used and knowing that they only they have a 30% of the effective rate in terms of using them, then it speaks values in terms of the willingness of the police officials throughout the United States to justify any reason to go about killing people, uh, particularly African people, uh, you know, any excuse would do in terms of justifying killing African people. So clearly, these two cases are problematic. And uh, one of the things is that you know, uh, you know, in this police chief down in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and uh, also the one in Louisiana, is not helping the situation in terms of the kind of the rhetoric, the kind of racist uh, uh, um, uh, inclination that they continue to spew. You know, in the face of the deaths, of, in the deaths of well, not well, not in case of. Uh, Jacob Blake, but certainly in the case of uh, Trey, Trey Ford uh, Pellerin, uh, to talk about you know this kind of uh, to be so insensitive in the face of you know these these deaths, I, I think it's extraordinary. But again, but again, it speaks to the kind of callousness, the kind of indifference, the kind of hatred directed toward African people in the society. And so it seems to me that you know one thing is very very clear. You know we can we can we can educate our kids in terms of. Uh, interaction with cops, but the bottom line is that when this kind of thing happens to your children, uh, there really can be no justification for it. So, killing, you know, um, you know, uh, these these two, two cases on on the face are very very problematic. Okay, thank you, brother Haki, and we call you, brother Moses. What's going on in your world, the community, brother Moses? Yeah, brother Moses. Uh, I'm, I'm having a little having a little problem with my mute button. Um, um this has been an interest this has been an interesting week. Uh, the Republicans had their their convention and uh, Trump laid out his lies and, and why he should be continuing his fascist reign and uh, and and you know, people chirped in. I noticed they they're digging up black people from uh, these black people for Trump coming from somewhere. But uh, anyway, I never cease to be amazed. Um, also, a friend of mine, my best friend, is, has happens to be a Muslim. And uh, anyway, he recommended I see this this Netflix uh, show, um, I Am Not Your Negro, by James Baldwin. And uh, I hadn't seen it. And so I, I watched that this week, and that was very interesting. He laid out... Uh, Documentary about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Mega Evers, and uh, it was it was written by James Baldwin, and it was pretty interesting. Um, 
we have a lot of a lot of racism in the U.S. A lot, a lot of racism, and, and I never, uh, I don't, I, I don't think I had have realized just how deep this thing is, and uh, and we got a lot of work to do. Thank you. All right, good enough. Uh, what we're going to do right now? We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, there are some articles concerning the segment we'd like to get y'all to respond to. One of the first articles we will talk about is dealing is titled Two Sides of the Same Coin. It's written by Renato Flores from Cold Pink and was published on July the ninth from Telesaur. Very interesting article where it talk about the whole fundamental difference or if there is a difference between Trump and Biden. We'll talk about that and others when we come back. So you'll listen to Africa on the Move. We'll take this quick culture break, and we'll be back. Shall be hanged with me. 
Niggas are scared of revolution. But niggas shouldn't be scared of revolution. Because revolution is nothing but change. And all niggas do is change. Niggas come in for most and change into pimping clothes. They hit the streets to make some quick change. Niggas change their hair from black to red to blonde. And old black hair and looks will change. Niggas kill other niggas just because one didn't receive the correct change. Niggas change from men to women, from women to men. Niggas change, change, change. You hear niggas say, things are changing, things are changing. Yeah, things are changing. Niggas things into black nigga things. Black nigga things that go through all kinds of changes. The change in the day that makes them rat and rave. Black power, black power, and the change. That comes over them at night as they sigh and moan. I die. Ooh, I die. Niggas always going through bullshit change. But when it comes for real change, niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are actors. Niggas are actors. Niggas act like they're in a hurry to catch the first act of the great white host. Niggas start to act like Malcolm. And when a white man doesn't react towards them like he did Malcolm, niggas want to act violently. Niggas act so cool. Causing white people to say, what makes you niggas act like that? Niggas act like you ain't never seen nobody act before. But when it comes to acting out revolution, niggas say, I can't dig them action. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are very untogether people. Niggas talk about getting high and riding around in hell. Niggas to get high and ride to hell. Niggas talk about pimping, pimping that, pimping what? Pimping yours, pimping mine. Just to be pimping is a hell of a line. Niggas are very untogether people. Niggas talk about the mind, talk about my mind stronger than yours. I got that bitch's mind upside. Niggas don't know a damn thing about the mind, but they be right. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas fuck. Niggas fuck, fuck, fuck. Niggas love the words fuck. They think they're so fucking cute. They fuck you around. The first thing they say when they're mad is fuck it. You play a little too much for them. They say fuck you. When it's time to TTB, niggas are somewhere fucking. Try to be nice to them. They fuck over you. Niggas don't realize all they're doing all this fucking. They're getting fucked around. But when they do realize, it's too late. So niggas just get fucked up. Niggas talk about fucking, fucking that, fucking this, fucking yours, fucking masters, not knowing what they're fucking for, ain't fucking for love and appreciation, just fucking to be fucking, niggas fuck white side, black side, yellow side, brown side, niggas fuck angles when they want dollar side, niggas fuck Sally, Linda, and Sue, and if you don't watch out, niggas will fuck you, niggas will fuck fuck if it could be fucked, but when it comes to fucking for revolutionary causes, niggas say fuck revolution. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are players. Niggas are players are players. Niggas play football, baseball, and basketball while the white man is coming off their balls. When a niggas play ain't got enough to play with them black guys, niggas play with white guys to see if they still have to play enough. And when ain't no white guys to play with, niggas play with themselves. Niggas tell you they're ready to be liberated, but when you say, let's go take our liberation, niggas reply, I was just playing. Niggas are playing with revolution and losing. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas do a lot of shooting. Niggas do a lot of shooting. Niggas shoot off at the mouth. Niggas shoot boo. Niggas shoot traps. Niggas run around the corners and shoot down the streets. Niggas shoot sharp branches and white women. Niggas shoot dope into the arm. Niggas shoot guns and rifles on New Year's Eve. New Year's, the shadows coming in, the white police 
We'll do more shooting at them. Where our niggas from the revolution need some shots. Yeah, you know, niggas are somewhere shooting this shit. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are lovers. Niggas are lovers. Are lovers. Niggas love to see Clark Gable make love to Marilyn Monroe. Niggas love to see Todd and fuck over the natives. Niggas love to hit an old ranger yeah. High hope silver. Niggas love commercials. Niggas love commercials. Oh, how niggas love commercials. You can take niggas out of the country, but... You, you can't, can't take, take the country, country out of niggas. Niggas are lovers, are lovers, are lovers. Niggas love to hear Malcolm rap, but they didn't love Malcolm. Niggas love everything but themselves. But I'm a lover too. Yep, I'm a lover too. I love niggas, I love niggas, I love niggas. Because niggas are me, and I should only love that which is me. I love to see niggas go through changes. Love to see niggas act. Love to see niggas make them plays and shoot this shit. But there's one thing about niggas. I do not love. Niggas are scared of revolution. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon Palace. You're the last, the last record by our last poet. What comes you up in your mind when you hear this song and looking at today in terms of what's going on, brother, brother Haki? Well, you know, what I think about is conditioning. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, we, we on some level, you know, we have to acknowledge uh, the kind of um, policy, the kind of institutions that uh, uh, the uh, capitalist class innovated has had a definite uh, uh, deleterious, a very negative impact on the function of our people. In fact, you know, we like to believe that, in fact, what happened, you know, 200 years ago uh, has no impact today. That would be be disingenuous. Uh, The reality is that, of course, what happened 200 years ago affects us today. And this is a fundamental problem. So this is a struggle that we engage in. We're trying to get people to understand that those things that you've been taught by no no, uh, uh, means uh, to blame, you know, people who – who subject these kind of maledictions in terms of slave mentality, but to say to them that uh, an understanding would happen in the past, then we have an obligation to ourselves. Certainly, we have an obligation to our children to make sure that we that uh, that we that we we educate ourselves, that we begin to understand in terms of who we are as a people, and to understand our contributions to society, to understand our contributions to the world, to understand the origins of all human beings, to understand that we are the kings and queens of the world. So we have so we so the onus is on us in terms of changing that dynamic. Uh, you know, I, I I think that you know so when we, specifically you know when we talk about revolution, brother Africa, it's it's, it's a very scary thing. Uh, when you talk revolution, people they get scared because they've been told that revolution is a is is necessarily a bloody endeavor. In fact, revolution doesn't have to be bloody. In fact, the more you understand how the system works, and the more you're able to devise strategy which are nonviolent in terms of bringing it to an end. But you have to first and foremost understand how it works, which in, which means that you have to educate yourself in terms of how the system works. So, but people are in fact afraid of revolution. That's the direct uh, off, um, result of the kind of conditioning uh, that we have endured in this country for 400 years in terms of, you know, uh, you know how we think and what we should think. So until we overcome that con- conditioning in terms of being able to to self empower, to be able to do things, to become uh, uh, self determined. 
uh, it becomes that much more difficult because we haven't taken necessary work in terms that we need in terms of challenging the mentality that exists in so many of us in terms of what it is to be an African in a society. So I think uh, he's, 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 he's the, 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 the Les Poets piece speaks volumes in terms of that propensity that exists in the minds of so many of our people, and we still fight that struggle. You know, in the, 20, the 21st century, we're still fighting that struggle, but it's nonetheless it's a struggle we have to fight. But I think that they ha- they are absolutely on point in terms of this being a real problem in terms of our ability, in terms of organization, in terms of getting things done in the community, simply because two of us uh, have been programmed to believe uh, that to think, uh, that to be creative, that to challenge is somehow uh, un- unpatriotic. So we have to dispel this bull and understand that we have an obligation not only to ourselves, but to our children as well in terms of leading them to the future. So I think they're absolutely correct in terms of the challenges that we face. Brother Anthony, what comes up in your mind when you listen to the lyrics of the last song and looking at what's going on today? Uh, let's see. Uh, what what the thoughts that come to my mind is that people are are scared uh, are scared of change. Uh, we've over the last five hundred years have become accustomed to our oppression, and there's some of us that are uh, that are scared of a uh, uh, scared. Of another way of life, uh, because we've been denied our, uh, you know, our true history, our true contributions to humanity. Any change in what's presented by the ruling class scares some of us. Uh, not uh, not necessarily everybody, but enough, of, uh, but enough of us to keep. Uh, you know the masses of the people in check, and to keep uh, you know the class struggle going on within our community, which uh, which makes uh, organization and unification very difficult. But it is necessary. But uh, we have to you know uh, keep fighting to educate our people. And uh, fight to organize them and uh, politically educate ourselves. Uh, and uh, you know, and the thing, and you know, rhetoric like what Trump runs and uh, what other political figures run, uh, you know, uh, you know, makes people scared of uh, revolution. And that fear is something we have to overcome. Because uh, imperialism and all of its manifestations only brings death and destruction. So we have to, you know, teach and struggle, uh, you know, against that. And it means an intensification of the class struggle among ourselves. Brother Moses, when you listen to that song, what caught you up in your mind? Yeah. What's going on today? Well, you know, we we face a situation where we know what the oppression feels like. You know, we've gotten used to it. We've got we've adapted to it uh, uh, somewhat. Uh, at least, you know, we're surviving in it. And uh, 
but we don't know what liberation feels like. And and some of us are afraid to take that take that um step to education and, and psychological independence first and foremost. Uh, um and to have a self determination and a, a, a internal integrity and, and uh motivations that are that are that are good and internally driven and so we're not dependent upon others to uh, to uh, motivate us, shall we say? And so you know, people are people people. The vast majority of the people are, are part of the ninety-nine percent, and and it's a shame that that there's some of the some of them have become better defenders of the bourgeoisie than the bourgeoisie itself, as as Lenin once said. Uh, um, we, people have taken up the, the causes um, that are, that they really it's not in their interest, but they are fighting for them, and uh, that's the tragedy of life. Uh, that's what ignorance brings about, and and the backwardness of the people. Donald Trump play, play, preys upon that and plays upon it, and uh, and he's totally dependent upon that. The backwardness of the people. And, and so you know we got to we have to bring light to darkness. Thank you. You know, along one of the points you made, Brother Moses, and along with the whole issue of the NBA, I think Brother Epson spoke to earlier. Um, along my line of thinking, that I want to raise with the panelists um, is that um, we talk about other people taking other people's interests. I find it to be real ironic that if you look at the attempt of the basketball players to take a stand to bring more recognition, not more recognition, but more concrete results, and not just artificially, you know, um, dress coding the issue of African men and women being being assassinated. If you look at their position and their position in terms of their ability to bring about a serious impact on the owners who make money off of them for playing basketball while at the same time take their money and sponsor these police forces, sponsor these left-wing groups sponsor this administration, the all-inclusions of oppressing their own people. Do you think that was not an error for them to go all the way in terms of taking a complete beaver absent or, or, or you can call it what they call it uh, when you refuse to... Um, Perform whatever you want to call it. You think it might be more? It would be more effective to have the power to completely shut down the institution, cost the owners billions of dollars, and that would get them maybe to pay not only attention to the cause, but to find ways to alleviate these killings based upon their wealth and their relationship 
to these institutions with power? I uh, see part of the dilemma is the platform that these players have is because of the notoriety they obtain from this sport. So, and also, uh, now, if Africans were organized, they could shut down uh, the NBA and WNBA. But, unfortunately, a lot of... uh, a lot of workers and uh, and, and athletes are, are, are workers. That's what their relationship to the uh, to that product is. Is um, is they uh, a lot of them do not have the uh, the political conviction to make that type of sacrifice. And uh, and uh, you know and and a lot of people aren't willing. To put their jobs on the line, uh, you know, uh, you know, to advance that people's struggle. And uh, and, uh, and uh, you know what I'm getting at is there are not too many people uh, like a Muhammad Ali or uh, or Paul Robeson who are willing, uh, you, you, you know, to make that kind of sacrifice. And uh, and uh, you know and being uh, and being how difficult it is to find employment, in a way, is understandable. But if our people were organized, they could indeed shut down some of these sports. But we're not sufficiently organized to provide the support mechanism. Necessary for them to take that kind of uh, that that type of action, in my opinion. Yeah. Well. Well, I think I I I I sort of view it a little differently, Brother Africa. You know, my thing is that you know, I understand the point that you're raising, and uh, certainly, you know, the players got the, the they, they sort of got within their means in terms of bringing the. the the owners down to the knees in terms of financial earnings, and there's no question about that. But I see it more as a process. I think that the mere fact that they count those games were canceled that day, those guys lost, those owners of those teams lost hundreds of millions, tens of millions of dollars. And so, therefore, don't underestimate the impact that that may have. Uh, granted, uh, the kind of impact, if you lost a billion dollars over the course of a year, which certainly would probably have a greater impact, and there's no question about that. I think what the reality is, and what Brother Anthony alluded to, the fact that, you know, we talk about sacrifice, and we got to be honest and understand that not everybody's ready for that kind of sacrifice. You know what I mean? I, I certainly hope in the, into the future that athletes will be much much more prepared, uh, we've set the right conditions to make that kind of sacrifice in the future. But as it stands right now, the reality is that most people are not prepared to make those kind of sacrifices. And so, therefore, I'm, I'm glad to see at least some movement in terms of at least raising the, the – the concerns in terms of the systematic killing of African people in society, uh, to the extent that they're willing to miss some games, which did impact on the owner's bottom line. So I'm glad to see that. So I'm I like to believe that this is this is this is part of a process. You know what I mean? And I like to see what's going to happen in the future. Now, see the thing is that if the, if this killings continue, now now if the owners is on it, the players will say, okay, well listen, you know what? We gave the the owners a break. We only struck struck for a day a day or two. 
Now, given the fact that this 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 thing this continues to happen, it means that you wealthy people, you wealthy owners, are not putting up pressure on these city officials, these state officials, to end this practice. Uh, so therefore, we're going to just call it call it a, 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 the year is over. It's a wash. But I'm, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if in fact that materializes. But I don't think that I don't think the, them you know taking a strike for a day or two was a total loss. I thought it does have some benefits, and it and it does and it does impact the owners. So, I'm 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 cautious to see what happens in the future in terms of, you know, uh, how these how the situation handled in terms of, you know, athletes. You know, uh, once they get a sense that this 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 police brutality, this police killing of African people, is not a fluke, is somehow it's systematic, and that they need much much more tougher measures in terms of pressuring these only being 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 their owners, billion dollar billion billion dollar owners. Pressure them to do more in terms of using their their clout, uh, the power that they have in terms of bringing these city officials and these state officials to heal. So I'm waiting to see what happens, brother Africa. So, but I don't think it's a total whitewash in terms of, of total wash in terms of, uh, you know, the, the strategy that they employed. I mean, you know, the whole thing is that, you know, as brother Anthony alluded to, you know, is the reality is that, you know, if you don't have that kind of consciousness, it's not likely that you're going to potentially uh, create ramifications that are. Uh, that are going to affect you for the rest of your life. Not everybody is prepared to do that. So we have to understand that, you know, we're waiting into the future and see what athletes do when those killings continue and whether or not they take a much harder line or much harder stance in terms of pressuring these owners, you know, to do something in terms of, you know, putting an end to this wholesale killing of African people in the society. Mm-hmm. Brother Moses, your response? Well, I'm glad to see the athletes are organized. Um, they they certainly present a united front, um, and, and certainly you know that's that's a good thing. Uh, that that bodes well for the future. You know, organization and um, that political consciousness is there, and it's just a matter of of um, of uh, it permeating throughout the league uh, as. People educate each other, and each one teach one. And and um, we, you know, this whether or not the uh, the whole season or whatever should be canceled or not, uh, uh, that's still up in the air. Um, the COVID is is a is an issue in and of itself. The COVID nineteen, so much, and so you know, with the racism thing um, 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 being front and center. Then um, you know this definitely is a shaky situation for the season. Um, I hope that um, somehow I don't know what it takes to to get to in a mind that will shoot somebody in the back seven times. I don't know what kind of training or what kind of what was missed because it's just some kind some kind seems like the human condition itself would. Was sensitized one to not want to do something like that, but there's there's capitalism and and this racism and this ideological white nationalism uh, is really really a problem, and uh, you know we're paying paying the price. Thank you. Okay, oh, we yeah, go ahead. Now, sir, we we've been paying the price for centuries. And because of, uh, you know, the the propaganda and educational system, 
a lot of Europeans don't see Africans as human beings. That is the only uh, that's the only way I, 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 the reason I could think of that someone would be cold-hearted enough to shoot a person in the back seven times. You do not you 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 uh, you know uh, the people uh, a lot of police do not see us as human beings. Because there would be a huge outcry if that uh, you know if say uh, uh, so, so, say an animal that happened to an animal, and I think uh, and I think uh, subconsciously a lot of Africans, even in that athletic professions, understand that that uh, that they that that it could have possibly been them. That got shot up in front of their children. So I think uh, I, I, the the takeaway I, 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 from this is that our our the level of consciousness of uh, the youth is growing. Okay, panelists, let me ask this quick question before we go into this article as it relates to what's going on in our world community. We said earlier that one of the dangers, one of the dangers of constantly seeing this kind of violence on the screen, it offered the possibility, one, you come numb to it, or, and two, Psychologically, it does play a role in terms of putting fear in the hearts and minds of the people. Again, what's the incentive here for the news media to continue to um, show these these assassinations as they say our people? Because we are not organized, it's hard to resist something that constantly bombarding you, bombarding you, So in terms of at this stage of the game, is this now becoming something that people is getting numb to it as well as becoming a tool of feel and use a tool of feel as we continue this psychological warfare against African people? What do y'all make of this continuation? I think it's a combination of both Uh, because uh, I think, think, uh, you know, uh, our enemies want to inculcate fear in Africans that if if we do not do, uh, uh, you know what? Uh, what what Europeans tell us to do—that that, that this is what what's going to happen to us. I think there's that aspect of it, and also seeing acts of violence repeatedly. Uh, can get can uh can be uh can get to a level where it become where you become desensitized to it. Because it seems like the normal way human beings behave. 
and uh, and that creates a dangerous situation. And uh, but uh, but if uh, if people would study the history of the U.S. carefully, they would realize that this is a very violent society. As a matter of fact, probably one of the most violent societies that, uh, you know ever created in history. If you look at how this land, uh, you, you know, was uh, was acquired by the, uh, you know, by the ruling class, and the means by which they terrorized the labor to force the development of it. Anyone else? Yeah. Well, there is. Well, there is, there is, there is no question. Uh, you know, when you're repeatedly uh, bombarded with uh, stories of murders, uh, particularly in in context of you know police, you know uh, police killing uh, African people, then clearly it, it does have a, a somewhat um, alarming impact uh, to the extent that you know the possibility, uh, of course, in this course, what they want to inculcate in your mind is that this could be you. And so, therefore, certainly, it uh, it certainly could uh, have a, a kind of chilling effect on African people who say, "Well, wow, if I don't toe the line, if, you know, uh, then this is what's going to happen to me." Of course, that's precisely what they want. It's part of the psychological operations that they run, not only in the country but throughout the world. Uh, first and foremost, they, they, the way in, in terms of you know uh, winning the war is at first create conditions in which you know your adversary, at least what you perceive as your adversary. Uh, uh, would never even think of the idea in terms of actually engaging in in in, in terms of in terms of war. Uh, so clearly, if you can eliminate potential people who are willing to stand up, then of course it makes it easier for the, the capitalists in terms of main, maintaining their their control and domination. Um, so yes, you, you're absolutely correct, brother Africa. It it, it 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 that's 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 a part of it. But I think a bigger part of it, brother Africa, I think on the flip side is I think what they want to do. Is to com- communicate to to the to the white racists out there uh, that in fact that these people are a threat to the society. I think that's a bigger message. I think one of the things you understand when we talk about um, you know um, you know as a society deconstructs and we talk about this being a conscientious process initiated by the capitalists, then keep in mind one of the things you want to do is to arm the white racists because they're an, a, a useful weapon, a useful tool. In terms of carrying out the the will of the government, and so therefore it's easier for the government to unleash these groups and 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 claim that they have no knowledge of these groups and allow these groups to go out and kill African people, and so it gives uh, the 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 ruling elite gives them a certain amount of um, uh, justification for saying, well, you know, it wasn't it wasn't us. We knew nothing about that. So clearly, you know, this is this is this is this is a problem, you know. But this is all part of the uh, psychological ops, psychological strategies they employ in terms of maintaining the oppression of African people. And what African people have to do is they have to understand fundamentally, you know, that one, you can't allow yourself to become immune to these mass killings. And secondly, begin to understand that, you know, listen, despite the fact that they're portraying these killing one killing after another, to understand that some things, you know, are worth dying for. I mean, some things just got to die for. I mean, that's just. Nobody wants to die, uh, you know, but the bottom line is that some things, you know, just it's worth dying for. And I think African people have to come to the realization, you know, some things you simply have to die for. And there is no pragmatic way in terms of dealing with the situation. Sometimes you got to say, you know what, you know, I know this may cost me my life, but you know what, some things you just got to take, some things you just got to do what you got to do in terms of taking a stand. 
But you're absolutely correct, Brother Africa. But it does have an impact on people's psychology, and that's what it's all about. That's what the media role is. And aside from that, keep in mind that also you know, one of the things that they continually do is to portray African people as somehow um, unthinking, uh, to portray us as reactionary, to portray us as somehow uh, incapable of, uh, you know, um, concrete thought. So this is another one of the things that they continue to promote, and there's a reason why they promote that, because it does uh, have a certain appeal to the races out there in, 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 in America, not just America, but throughout the world. So keep in mind that this propaganda they utilize against African people doesn't just only exist in America, but it's, it's, it's exported throughout the world. And so therefore African people throughout the world have a perception of who African people, African people are, who we are, uh, without even knowing African people. But they have a perception based upon what they hear and what they read, what they see on television. So it's a very dangerous game, but African people got to understand, you know, one of the things is, is you know, is, you know, is, you know and, I, and I keep saying this over and over again, and, you know, and I just certainly hope, certainly hope people begin to understand the significance of what I'm saying. But listen, there is no pragmatism, and you can't be pragmatic. In the face of overwhelming uh, slaughter, uh, in the face of potential uh, harm, and it's, uh, so much distress being inflicted upon African people, there is no pragmatism. There's no way you can say, listen, if I just pretend like it doesn't exist, it's going to be okay. It just doesn't work that way. History has never worked in that way. And so for us, for us to think that somehow the history applies to, to other parts of the world, but history doesn't apply to America, get real. Of course history applies to America. And so when we see the writing on the wall, when we see the kind of wholesale killing by police officers systematically endorsed by a system, uh, when we see that, then we got to understand the writing is on the wall. We have to fully understand that. When we see uh, police chiefs standing up and saying that uh, the, the killing of African people is justifiable, that African people, in fact, need to be eliminated, when police chiefs are saying these things, they're telling you the writing is on the wall. What does it take for you to understand that this is serious business? This is serious business. And so if you really care about the next generation and the future, the future then when you sacrifice it's something that you have to do. There is no pragmatism. And this is what we keep trying to do, we keep trying to be pragmatic, because I, because one thing about being pragmatic, you know, we can we can articulate our discontent in terms of what's going on, but at the same token, we don't do anything concrete in terms of addressing the systematic ills that inflict our people. Because we've been pragmatic. But then in doing such we don't we don't really make the kind of impact we need to make in terms of bringing about substantive real change in the society. They can allow our people to actually excel, you know, in the society. So we got a lot of work to be done. But first and foremost, we have to understand the role of propaganda and how it works. Uh, and the propaganda is not just coming from the media; it's coming from the school systems. Uh, you got a situation now where where um, they don't even hire progressive uh, progressive uh, 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 educators anymore. If you're in a college or the high school and you, and you perceive as progressive, they don't hire you. Particularly in colleges, universities, they don't hire you. They don't hire conservatives because they want to limit in terms of your, your your access to information. So if you don't have access to information, then your ability to critique becomes that much more compromised. And that's precisely what they want to want want to happen. So there's no pragmatism at all in this stuff. We got no choice. The writing's on the wall. And so this propaganda is a big piece of it. And understanding that, you know, that you know, to the extent that we can impact this propaganda it's in our best interest to do so. Because like I said before, people around the world don't know anything about Africans born in America, but they have perceptions in terms of Africans born in America based upon what they hear, what they read, what they see on television. And it's all propaganda. So we got a best interest in terms of shaping the narrative 
Uh, but we only can do that to the extent that we're organized and understand precisely what the issues are and how to go about bringing about the kind of change that we desire. So you're absolutely correct, Brother Africa. It, they do do it for benevolent reasons. It's, that's, that's, they're not doing it because they want to, to inform people. They're doing it because they understand that it does have a deleterious impact, a very negative impact in the minds of African people. So one of the things we certainly want to do is to scare as many of us as possible to make sure that in the future there'll be no movements because we're so terrified, you know, that uh, we, would, we, would, we wouldn't even consider uh, standing up. So you're absolutely correct, Brother Africa. It's, it's part of a broader strategy. Brother Moses, your response to the continuation of publicizing these assassinations and its impact it may be having on our people psychologically. Well, hopefully we won't get um, desensitized that we will always honor and and respect the fallen and uh, recognize their contributions and uh, and know that they, their martyrdom is not in vain and that we have to continue to struggle, um, that we have to, we have to dig a little deeper and, and, and uh, press on. Um, so, you know, I, um, it's amazing. People uh, in, in Latin America, uh, South America, and Central America, uh, these environmentalists are getting killed. Uh, um, there's, there's people dying every day uh, on the progressive side, and uh, and uh, and you know this it's a fascinization process that's taking place, and and we have to struggle and point it out and and holler and do everything we can to uh, make people see that this is this is it's time for change, um, that that change is possible. But we got to we've got to be organized, and uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. You know, panelists, Malcolm made several statements about this whole concept of freedom. He once stated that after you get your freedom, your enemy will respect you. And he also said that a man who believes in freedom will do anything under the sun to acquire or preserve his freedom. To get to that point there I would think there must be there must be a certain transformation of conditions created within among the human beings to 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 to, to acquire you those concepts and not just articulate. Would you all agree to that perspective? I, I agree. I think I think that uh, that is that what Malcolm pointed out is very accurate. But uh, you know, but it uh, but it is it, going to take uh, uh, orga- political education organization to bring those conditions about. And uh, and also, uh, Malcolm talked quite a bit about class struggle. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that the famous uh, House Negro Field uh, Negro analogy, he was talking about nothing more than a class struggle in the African community. In other words, there were some, uh, in other words, there's some Africans who, uh, uh, particularly the House Negro, who loved the, the, the master more 
than, than the master care for himself. And uh, that phenomena has uh, has uh, transitioned with the with the change in oppression from uh, chattel slavery to wage slavery. From there are some there are some petty bourgeois elements in our community that are more loyal to capitalism than they are to our to our own people. So it's a struggle that we uh, that we have to wage. And it's going to intensify because as resources get more scarce, the uh, the, uh, the 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 intensity of the struggle to hold for the ruling for the ruling bourgeoisie to hold on to their wealth is going to intensify, and that is why we see the increase in the political oppression of African people around the world. Brother Hakeem, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, respect you, Malcolm said, your enemy will respect you once you get your freedom. Break it down to the people. What are you really saying? Yeah, well, clearly, I mean, once, once, I mean, once you, once you're willing to struggle for your freedom and obtain it, then they respect that because they under, they understand that you understand that the, the name of the game is respect, and with that respect comes a certain kind of cautiousness in terms of how you how you interact with people. Who are in fact uh, love freedom, and so therefore they're going to respect you. Some because they respect you, some because you're taking a stand for what that is principle. And this is important we understand. But let me just raise one thing in terms of being principled. The problem in terms of being principled, one thing we got to understand, brother Africa, is that you know as much as we like to believe, you know, that given the injustice that and the, the slaughter and the uh, oppression that it impacts inflicts African people in society. We like to believe that those conditions in themselves are, are responsible for, you know, people turning against the system. That's not always true. Uh, in fact, one of the things is that if, in fact, if we look in terms of kind of the, the level of despair, the level of self of suffering that exists in the in the African community, and certainly you would think that given this this, this kind of despair, the level of despair and 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 and, and, and the, the heartbreak that confronts the African community. You think that we have we would have millions upon millions of revolutionaries in the society, but that hasn't materialized simply because you know material deprivation isn't in itself enough in terms of compelling people to stand up and to demand respect. So that's important we understand that to the extent that when we talk about this question in terms of respect for a lot of people, you know, you know, particularly when you're caught up in the rat race in terms of survival, the question of respect is not something that you that you that you entertain. Respect is normally entertained for people who, let's say, who play by rules of the game. So you go to the university, you graduate, you get your master's degree, your PhD, or whatever, and then you leave the university and you find out there's no work for you. And if you're fortunate to find work, the work that you got is normally some gig economy where you're driving a cab, you know, to you know, to, in an attempt to make ends meet. And so it's kind of so a kind of a discontent, kind of alienation that sets in, which is responsible for your turn against the system. And so, therefore, because you, you're educated, you can read, you can write, then you understand this question in terms of respect. And so you must more likely be angry simply because you understand that you're not being respected. And so then in your mind, I think what begins to happen is that you begin to understand respect is key. Respect is key. And to the point that you're willing to do anything in terms of getting that respect and maintaining that respect. So I, so I think that to the extent that, uh, you know, uh, uh, we're going to – that. Um, that we're going to we, we're going to gravitate toward uh, toward understanding this concept of respect. I think it's going to grow because we got disproportionate number of Africans coming out of the university with no jobs, uh, no future. 
And so therefore, they're very, very angry. They're very, very angry. And so therefore, they understand intimately this whole question in terms of respect. And so therefore, you, Malcolm is absolutely correct. Once a person understands the, the issue of respect uh, and is willing to fight for it, uh, that individual most certainly is willing to die for it in terms of obtaining it. If not for him, it's for, or for his people or for his children. So clearly, you know, this question of respect is key, and Malcolm was absolutely correct. Uh, but, but, but respect is, is not something easily understood by the masses of people. So we got to be, in addition to being patient, uh, we got to continue to push forth the narrative in terms of hope that those that some in the, among the working class begin to understand the necessity of what we're saying and why what we're saying is so important to their lives. You listen to Africa on the Move. We're discussing this segment: What's going on in your world? In the community, if you have anything you'd like to say in terms of what you have heard or what's going on in your world and the community, please do so by calling 323-679-0841 and hit one, hit one on that dashboard, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. If you have any comments or questions that you'd like to have, like to ask, right now we see we have a. Caller, we're going to take this caller. Caller, your last number is 0308. Caller 0308, welcome to Africa on the Move. Your question or comment, caller? How you yes, doing, caller, Africa? 308. How you doing, my brother? All right. How you doing, my brother? All right. I was just calling in to, uh, you know, to uh, kind of end on what everyone is saying and how we need to, uh, you know, get better organized and politically educate ourselves here in 2020 so that way we can start changing our own narratives. We can start better organizing ourselves in this country as African people. Um, I I, I feel like, uh, you know, just to speak on as what y'all was speaking on as far as with the NBA and things, um, it, it could be a great thing, as Brother Anthony was saying, they didn't look at things, you know, from a worker's point of view, you know, from a point of view of what they could lose individually if they didn't continue a season, you know, because it's very instrumental to the to the youth that look up to them as in terms of what they may do next as well, you know, as far as organization being able to come together with like-minded people, you know. So I think that's very, you know, very uh, key to the middle of the people who are looking up and watching this. All right, Carla, we'd like to thank you for your comment. We're, uh, you're welcome to see on, and we will continue the discussion. We thank you. Uh, what we're going to do right now, let's go to this article. Uh, if you're interested in this article, uh, the title is Two Sides of the Same Coin. It was written by Leonardo Flores from Cold Pink and will pick up by Telesur on the 9th of July, 2020. This article really discussed, I think, was going, uh, something that we need to realize in terms of how this country, how imperialism, continue to get its food, its nourishment from other people's resources around the world. And I think this highlights a real good example of that. And people need to understand what's going on. So right now, we're going to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, when you look at this article, what were some of the obviously very critical points of things people need to know in terms of this relationship 
between the U.S. government and this war they have against Venezuela. Okay. Uh, I think the most critical thing people need to understand is that is that both Biden and Trump are pushing to overthrow the government of, uh, of Venezuela. They're trying to o- overthrow the United Socialist Party of Venezuela because they do they want control of Venezuela's resources. And uh, the only difference between the two, which this article points out, is uh, method. Uh, let's see. Uh, in order to um, uh, let's see, get, it points out that Biden supports uh, temporary protective status for Venezuelan immigrants in the U.S. Whereas Trump doesn't. He does not. Uh, he doesn't want. Uh, Temporary protected status for any uh, group of immigrants, and also he would. Uh, and also, the only thing is, though, uh, 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 let's see. And uh, Trump is uh, is misappropriating the resources stolen from Venezuela in order to finance the building of this border wall between the U.S. and Mexico. And uh, let's see, Biden would stop that. But other than that, they're both pushing for the overthrow of the democratically elected government of Venezuela. And, uh, you know, and uh, people don't pay, uh, people get caught up in imagery a lot in the U.S., but don't pay attention to the essence of the policies that are being pursued by the candidates and also their political history. And uh, Biden was very instrumental in, uh, in, in, in uh, passing policies while he was in Congress uh, that, 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 that increased the mass incarceration of Africans in the U.S., uh, to a level where uh, Af- uh, the U.S. has m- 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 more prisoners than any other country in the world, and uh, so I think people have to be, uh, have to be uh, look more deeply at the at the politicians that uh, they vote into political leadership. You know, before I bring in Haki and uh, Moses to respond to this article, let me just share with my listening audience in terms of um, the degree of, of the corruptness in terms of the monies that they are taking from the Venezuela people and use it to fund the military and police, um, police officers or operations that take place inside the United States. It says the Trump administration has diverted $601 U.S. million in assets stolen from the Venezuelan people. That's one. Then it talks about the money was previously held in the Treasury Department called Fortress Fund, which is typically used to finance law enforcement operations. It's a part of the estimated 24 
their regime change ever. And I'm saying this because, again, this is another example how the people don't realize how they are interconnected to the world and how their lives here many times are subsidized as a result of it. Brother Haki, you want to respond to just this whole essence of fundamentally, they talk about there are no fundamental difference between the two, Biden or Trump, <coughs> your response. Yeah, well, there is no fundamental fundamental difference between the two. It is, it's important to understand, you know, they both represent the ruling class, and their interests lie squarely with the ruling class. And so even though uh, Trump is up, the, the orange man is up obnoxious in terms of his articulation, uh, Biden is no different in terms of the, the essence, in terms of what they're saying. They're essentially saying the same thing. So this attack on Venezuela is not surprising at all. Uh, in fact, one of the things is that you know, uh, any country, any country that, one, they'll stand up to the U.S. Uh, becomes, you know, becomes a target. Secondly, uh, any country that dare show the world a different way in terms of doing doing business, of course, constitute a threat to the United States ruling class. And so, therefore, nobody's surprised in terms of that. But let me just, one thing I want to talk point out to Brother Africa, just in terms of the extent that privilege exists in the world, you also know that the Bank of England also it's, it's, it's been uh, holding on to billions of dollars of gold belonging to Venezuela. So it's not just the U.S. imperialists doing it; it's also the, the, the British imperialists who are also doing it. So clearly, you know, um, you know, the world would never progress to where it should be as long as these privileged powers remain in, and remain in, remain in, um, remain in, in control. And one of the things that uh, you know, uh, Fidel Castro used to talk about when you talk about the importance in terms of countries, got to understand. That you need to unite and understand that you got to take on these 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 imperialists because if you don't take on, there's no peace, there's no justice, certainly there's no sanity that's going to exist anywhere in the world. And so while you sit back and watch them with impunity uh, attack other nations, you know, steal their wealth, you know, kill off their leadership and so forth and so on, at what point would that become you? So there is an implicit threat in terms of how imperialism is practiced, and so therefore, you know, uh, Venezuela constitutes a real threat. In terms of you know the very value system that's so uh, endemic to, to capitalism, and of course when we talk about capitalism, we talk about the greed, the avarice, and we talk about the the the, the oppression, the repression, the marginalization, the hopelessness, the despair. They are all attributes you know of the capitalist system, and so therefore any system that offers an alternative is in fact has to be a a a a, a, a enemy. And to the extent that American people are are not clear on that point. I think um, that's slowly coming to realization that, uh, in fact, things could be different. And the more people come to realization things could be different, and the more realization that people want to fight for an alternative way of living. living. And, in fact, one of the things I've always argued is that most people in America don't vote. And the reason they don't vote is because they know it's a sham. And so, and so therefore, uh, so when the pyramids go around and steal and uh, marginalize and repress, oppress, that the people in the country also feel that same modernization, oppression, and repression uh, that they that they inflict upon Venezuela. So clearly, uh, there is no fundamental difference between the two. Uh, they're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin, and nobody should delude themselves to thinking that somehow they're different. Brother Moses, you would like to respond? Yeah. Um, well, it's very interesting. Um, I'm 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 sort of getting weary uh, 
I had didn't get enough sleep, I guess. Uh, but um, the conversation is is I don't I don't know what I can add to it at this point. Uh, uh, Let me add something. No problem, brother Moses. Let me add some additional information just for the listening audience. Please, when you get a chance, take a look at this article. Is it's of interest. This is of interest in terms of understanding the dynamics of the geopolitics that are taking place when, as they say, our so-called backyard. It says Biden policies, particularly dealing with the upcoming elections, and what in the reason why people are voting for either one of these parties. You have to ask the question. Biden's policies are the same policies and exact heroic used by the Trump administration. Since 2017, the U.S. has imposed sanctions that have cost 100,000 Venezuelans to live and lead to economic losses of U.S. $130 billion. But according to Biden supporter, Rap Solo, there hasn't been enough of a crackdown on the Maduro government. This is just talking about, you know, the internal problems that has been inflicted on Venezuela, Venezuela people. So, you know, to our listening audience, please take a chance, take a look at that article. These are things you need to know what we're going to do right now. Uh, if you have called into the program, this is Africa on the Move. We are talking about what's going on in your world community. If you have something important you'd like to share with our listening audience or what's going on in your world and the community, please do so. When you call in, please hit 1 if you have a comment. And by hitting 1, we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So let's move forward to a real, another interesting article titled U.S. Police Infiltrated by the White Supremacist Groups Report. The U.S. Police Infiltrated by the White Supremacist Group. Okay, and this is an article in which the FBI has reported and said clearly that based upon the last several decades, really there has been an infiltration of white supremacists, the KKK, um, being imported or being have joined the ranks of what we call official terrorism, government official terrorism, by joining the official legal organs that spoke so called for deal with uh, law enforcement. Brother Hackett, when you read this article, what were some of the things came to your mind in terms of you may want to highlight for the people in terms of what we need to know? Yeah, well, one of the things is that there's been a considerable effort since the 60s to infiltrate, uh, you know, uh, white uh, race, white races into into the um, into the police departments, and it's, the strategy has been very very successful. In fact, there's there's too many of them who currently occupy, um, you know, the uh, police departments. But in addition to that, brother Africa, one of the things is that we, we're not only we're talking about, you know, uh, white nationalists or white terrorists in terms of the police departments. But also, they're consistently uh, ensuring that a large number of, of former military uh, veterans also become police officers. So essentially, what they're creating is, is a, 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 a situation where 
the so-called conservative narrative is a norm in the police department. And of course, when we kind of talk in context of conservative narrative, then essentially what we're talking about is people who, uh, who, 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 for whatever reason, uh, lack a ability in terms of, of, of understanding um, contrast, who so doesn't have a very difficult time in terms of understanding there's two ways of looking at things. These people tend to believe that whatever the government tells them, whatever power tells them, is in fact legit, in fact correct. And so, therefore, in this conservative mindset, one of the things that you got to understand is that, you know, when they talk about in terms of the systematic uh, um, elimination of people's constitutional rights, those those people with that mindset, those 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 racists, those military vets, don't have any concept in terms of that that's, that's, that is a wrong-headed policy, that, in fact, the human beings are certainly the citizens of this country are endowed with certain constitutional rights. But in course, in course, in a, in a conservative mindset, uh, constitutional right has no rights. Uh, the only rights that prevail in, in the mind of conservatives is the rights that are advocated or articulated by those positions of power. So clearly, we got a real problem in terms of you know these 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 these, 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 these white racists, these white nationalists, you know who are part of the police department. And the mere fact that, um, and, and I tell you, the thing that's so 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 disheartening about all of this is that the government knows that, but they refuse to put in place policy that not only limit their numbers in terms of the police department, but they actually create policy to make it harder to get them out of police departments. So this is this is a fundamental problem. So every time, you know, these police departments, to the extent that, you know, those actually try to do what was right and try to get rid of these kind of people, they end up in lawsuits, and ultimately they end up losing simply because the, the policies as, as it pertains to police police officers are so uh, inane, um, so uh, so... Um, uh, uh, they're constructed in a way in which to ensure that it's almost impossible to get rid of these people. And that's precisely what those people in power want. Because after all, you know, one of the things that we, we're very clear on, that the police obligation is not to protect human beings. Their obligation is property. Who owns the property? The capitalist class. Uh, uh, so that's their, that's their obligation, capital and property. So that is the obligation of this police department. Now, when you superimpose upon that this conservative mindset, this racist mindset that exists in police officers, then of course, when you talk about you know combating you know uh, crimes against the wealthy, then they're certainly they're certainly going to work full time to make sure that those ki- those kind of crimes are resolved. Now, when it comes to crimes committed against ordinary people, then they're less concerned in terms of uh, resolving those kind of crimes, simply because they the policy, or at least in their minds. It's not so much being concerned about the, the people who are inflicted with crime, but more concerned in terms of what it means in terms of being a service, you know, to people who happen to be very, very wealthy or the capitalist class. So this is the problem that we're facing, Brother Africa, and uh, you know, and uh, this is not going anywhere. Uh, in fact, this is precisely what the this is what they want. And uh, so, if you even if the courts decided of uh, the pressure states in terms of making sure that we're going to, you know, certain policies are enacted. In terms of minimizing the impact, in terms of these racist cops in the, in the police departments, then of course, uh, once they go to court, then you can be assured the conservative Supreme Court is going to overrule any attempt in terms of bringing these 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 racist cops uh, to justice. So clearly, it's a very difficult situation. So I think, nonetheless, it's one that we as a people have to begin to understand, you know, forthrightly that it's a fact of life, and that uh, you know, simply talking to our children isn't enough. In terms of preventing the killing of innocent African people, you know, by these same cops, because their motivation is, is, is their motivation has nothing to do in terms of legality. 
that motivation has everything to do in terms of indoctrination, in terms of skin color, uh, or defining who you are in terms of uh, your, uh, in terms of how, just how important you are. So to the, so I so I think that uh, because this is reality, you know, um, organizations become all that much more critical in the African community in terms of combating you know what is what clearly systematically a big big problem. And Brother Andrew, so you responded to this article. I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about the sub the subtext of this article that states the Black Lives Matter BLM movement has called attention to police relations with far right wing groups. Now, one thing you may ask: Where are these groups um, mostly maybe dominated in terms of their infiltration? According to this report. Militia members and white supremacists unfiltered the law enforcement of several states. The last includes Alabama, California, Connecticut, Florida, Illinois, Louisiana, Michigan, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Oregon, Texas, Virginia, Washington and West Virginia, which are southern or predominant black states, according to this article. Your response to the article, Brother Anthony, what are things people need to know? Well, uh, things that, uh, uh, that, 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 that stuck out, uh, these state, these are the same states where a lot of the worst political repression of Africans uh, is taking place, uh, particularly, uh, you know, the southern states in California and um, what's going on in Oregon, particularly in Portland. And uh, so, and, uh, and I think, and I, and I think, the mentality of uh, 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 of the of the Europeans that that join these police forces accounts for the callousness and the mentality when it comes to interacting with uh, with, with, with Africans. And uh, the other takeaway I have is the fact that we. That, uh, that 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 the way the police are, 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 are portrayed in the media, particularly television and the movies, is fiction for the most part, and uh, and uh, our people are being duped, you know, into uh, into putting confidence in them, and we have to uh, trust ourselves more. And uh, we have to organize so that we can protect ourselves, and uh, and that's critical because uh, the notion that the police are there to protect, to protect and serve, is not true. Their only their role is to protect uh, the property of the ruling class, which is the uh, the capitalists that run uh, this country. And when they do save human life, it's almost accidental, the way the trend is going now. You know, one of the things in terms of reading this article, it does make you realize or raise the question. When you ask the question, whose side is the government on? 
looking at one of the recent responses at one of the rallies out in Portland, I believe, where there was this young white male, European male, pull out a a a a weapon, a a gun, and shot two people. And he even went in front of the policeman with the hand, with his gun in his hand, even aimed at them, and there were no repercussions. And this was done openly. So what kind of messages do you think this is sending, or they hope to send, to the general public in, partic- in general, and the African community in particular, panelists? Um, again, I think it's, um, you know, it's, an- it, 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 it's another scare tactic in a sense in the fact that they want to inculcate fear of the police and and the masses of uh, working people. And uh, and it's reminiscent of the pictures they used to show of uh, lynchings of, uh, you know, uh, you know, a group of uh, Europeans, uh, uh, you know, celebrating the lynchings of Africans. And uh, and and this would be openly displayed a- a- everywhere, and uh, and I think it's uh, you know it's a fear tactic that if you resist, and that it, a- 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 you know this could happen to you, and the only and the only way, way, way to uh, to to stop that from happening is permanent political organization. Brother Moses, Haki, response. Can you two out my listening guests? If you'd like to weigh in, um, just hit one and we'll bring you in. Yeah, Brother Africa. Uh, I think you're talking about this uh, the 17 year old uh, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah, that, that shot those, yeah. killed those two, uh, two people. That's yeah, correct. you know, interesting enough. Interesting enough, you know, uh, you know, when when he walked past the cops with his with his hand and raised up with an AR-15 on his across his shoulder, and the police and the police refused to uh, to 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 stop him to question him, that suggests that that suggests you know a certain kind of uh, camaraderie that shouldn't exist. Um, uh, I can imagine. Can you imagine uh, an African walking down the street with an AR-15, you know, and uh, with the hand up and uh, not being questioned by the by the authorities? It's hard to believe that would actually ever occur. But what's more problematic is the fact that when they start giving water to the militia types, you know, heavily armed individual citizens, and giving them water, encouraging them to do what they do, that speaks volumes in terms of the kind of relationship that exists between the right-wing forces in the society, and the police. And if this isn't scary, I think, I don't know what is. But clearly, you know, uh, you know, the mere fact that uh, even now when they when they, they, they charge them, they charge them in youthful defender status and as opposed to as, as, as an adult. It seems to me that if you're going to walk down the street with an AR-15, then if, if you got this, that, I mean, if you carry that kind of firepower, that kind of ability to kill lots and lots of people, then certainly uh, that kind of thinking is is an adult kind of thinking, and sh- and, and seems to me that he should have been uh, he should have been sh- uh, should have been charged as an adult. But then again, of course, we understand the spread of the system is justice system, so therefore he was treated as a child, 
even though he did something heinous. He even had the support of the Orange Menace, who's talking about uh, he want to make sure that this guy gets a fair trial. It's very interesting in terms of you know him saying that, because the implication is that somehow by charging him it wasn't fair. So clearly, Brother Africa, you know, ain't much I can say about this case that people don't already know about. It's, it's, it's just that, you know, um, it, it speaks volumes in terms of this relationship between the right wing and, and the police force, and people just need to be seriously concerned about what's going on. In the comments, Brother Moses. Yeah, we, we're in this struggle for the long run, and uh I think, you know, that um, everybody, you know, should should continue to to I don't know look 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 to a, for have an objective, a goal, a, a, a end game that um, that they're working towards, and we have to have a clear vision of what that is, and uh, that's the, that's the only way we can progress. Um, I'm 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 not in a in a good space tonight. I'm sorry. Thank you. All right. What we're gonna do before we make our last transition, final thoughts for tonight, we'll go to some of our listening audience see if they may have something to say by calling out their last four numbers. We'll go back to call O three O eight. Any final thoughts or comments based upon what you have heard? Call O three O eight. Uh, yes, Africa. I just would uh, add on to what you said about the last article uh, with the 17-year-old. Um, they're just normalizing this. That's all they're doing, um, the imperialists. Um, something similar happened here in North Carolina in Concord. Um, they didn't shoot anyone, but there was an issue going on with the Africans there in Concord. And then you had uh, your white supremacists. They wanted to come out and taunt with their AR-15s and and uh, 30-06s and those type of things. So uh, they're just normalizing these type of things to let other white supremacists, other white nationalists know that these type of things are okay and that, you know, um, they're going to, you know, let be let off the hook with it. It's no different than the young man that walked in the church, uh, uh, Dylan Ruth, a few years back, that walked into church and started shooting up people. You know, they he walked away with his life, going to get fast food, getting water and those type of things. So, um, you know, us as African people, we definitely need to start being aware um, of our situation and our surroundings um, so that we can better protect ourselves, um, you know, so that way we can stop being harmed. But, uh, again, it's just them normalizing their trained children because they train their children from young ages. You can go to YouTube and watch videos, you know, with uh, with their elders um, showing these AR-15s off, you know, how they shoot, how they operate, and they tell you and they, it's great for your kids to grow up with. They'll tell you that, and it's perfectly legal for them to tell you that. You know, when you go in the stores, they're buying their children military toys, so they're, they're, they're already normalizing it in their home, so they're just normalizing it in the world. You know, this is no different than George Zimmerman walking down the street being able to shoot people and be and be let off. We, he hasn't been let off yet, but we can only guess what's going to happen. We know that his trial will probably be funded, you know, by the by the KKK or someone like that, some, some white nationalists. 
So we just have to better protect ourselves and better organize and, and pay attention to the situations and the surroundings that we are in. Be more conscious about the, you know, the things that we do. Thank you, Carl. We put you on hold, and we're going to our next caller, 64570, 64570. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Your question or comment, 64570. Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment. Uh, The shooter that he's talking about from uh, Wisconsin, uh, they had a GoFundMe for him that got up to like $150,000. Now, the website has simply shut it down since then. But it kind of shows you the kind of fervor and uh, attention and also just just how much they're behind these type of acts. So we're looking at fascism uh, uncovered, basically. Fascism that was already here, just basically uncovered. And and to the police thing you guys were talking about, uh, it's it's basically copaganda. It's a form of creating this, you know, buying into these myths that uh, the brother talked about before. Uh, When it comes to the police force, think about it, the TV show Law & Order. uh, That ran for over 20 seasons. There's over six spinoffs from that. It's giving people a framing of how they should think about police. And then when you go to media where people give that officer-involved shooting narrative uh, at the beginning of a story, when the story breaks, and regardless of how that story goes, that's how they continue the coverage, typically with media members talking directly to the police and being fed information to present the narrative in the way that they want it. So, you know, all of that comes into play, uh, you know, w- when you're dealing with this. And, and like you said, we've, we've known all of this for a long time, but it, it gets really difficult to explain this stuff to people who kind of ingested this stuff and, and, and are taking that as normal. They're taking that as the agent of the state who has the capacity to kill people. They're taking that as this person has the right to uh, be judge, jury, executioner in the street. And, you know, it, it is crazy to see, man. And, you know, the thing with Wisconsin, uh, we, we, we typically forget how dangerous social media has become. Like the coronavirus is one thing as far as virus being transmitted across the world. Social media, disinformation, misinformation that that is being spread across the world, you know, by the second and people sharing and sharing, sharing these things. There was a huge problem with Facebook for promoting uh, some type of a right wing uh, Facebook group that was telling people to go to Wisconsin uh, with the idea of putting down an uprising. Is basically the best way I can word how they were presenting it. Now, uh, you know, the owner of Facebook is under fire over this. They're going to make the same apologies they always make, but they come. But it comes down to they don't care about misinforming people. They care about engagement and making money. So even if that puts people's lives at risk, and we've seen that with elections across the globe, we've seen that in different cases where propaganda has been able to, you know, be used by Facebook across the globe, and they have no plans to change and enough money to influence the, you know, y'all know what the politics is here, enough money to insulate themselves from actual consequences and continue to do the same thing. And, you know, like I said, that that part of the virus, almost as bad as this coronavirus, the intellectual contagion, which is out here, uh, you know, going across the globe and out in there. And to add to your point, Carlo, we got to understand the close collusion between Hollywood 
and the Pentagon and intelligence agency. I would maintain mm-hmm. it's the intelligence agency, the Pentagon. They dictate through in Hollywood as well as these social media. They are all tools working mm-hmm. for the intelligence agency for U.S. propaganda. And, you know, I don't know why Hollywood hasn't come under attack of being one of the major institutions responsible for the confusion that's been spread all around the world. They work very closely with the Pentagon when you're talking about creating all these narratives. So anyway, uh, panelists and friends and supporters and participants, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick um, revolutionary culture break. When we come back, we'd like to have your closing thoughts for the night. You're listening to Africa on the Move as we state that we are in the seat, we'll take the heat. As we define things, we stand behind it. This is a weekly show that comes on once every comes on every Sunday from seven to nine PM. Please share with your network to come and join us. And um until then we're gonna go into our break right now and we'll be right back with our final thoughts. Remember we are not yet free. modern time you can't help but say the word Palestine people there have lost their land some have lost their home they live in other countries their freedom almost gone Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom freedom. 
Palestine, Palestine. needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom, needs her Palestine. Palestine, needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine... Needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed, plant the seed of love, and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone, so all the world will know that Palestine Needs her freedom, freedom. Palestine Palestine. needs our love. That's up. That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mossadegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure.
Obama getting ready for Syria First black president, the masses were hungry But the same president just formed an African country like I'll just say the typical thing, man. Uh, salute to you guys for doing the show. Uh, no matter what, information is valuable, and you never know who is downloading the podcast and, and listening on their way to work or whatever to get through the day. Like the brother said, he was going through something. Like, you never know, man. Uh, talking to people you know kind of helps sometimes. But either way, man, salute to you all for doing the show. It is so hard to find accurate and <laughs> good information nowadays. That uh, we just, you know, we need to make sure we give credit to people when they're doing it. So, y'all brothers, have a good night. Thank you, brother, for your contribution to today's program. And uh, we'll try to hit you up, brother. We need to talk to you. We thank you again. Um, next, let's go to caller yes, 0308. Your final thoughts for the night, caller 0308. The mic is yours. Um, yes, Brother Africa, uh, same as I always say when you have me here. Uh, you know, we need to politically educate ourselves. We need massive organization. We need to build organizations amongst ourselves. We need to get ourselves, get away from American politics, get away from American capitalism, read as much as possible of our own people, of African ideology. We need to study people like Nkrumah, Toure, Lumumba, we need to study Garvey, we need to study our home, where we come from, so that way we can have a better understanding of of ourselves. Once we have a better understanding of ourselves as African people, then uh, I believe that we'll start moving forward towards the things that we're supposed to be doing for ourselves to protect our futures. So, um, you know, that's the biggest message. We need to, you know, stop following behind American politics. Trump and Biden are both at war with Africa and with all people. The Democrats and Republicans are both anti-people. They're imperialists. They're forcing the same atrocities on us here as around the world. So we just need to get away from them, and we need to organize amongst ourselves, amongst the masses of the people, because we control our destinies. The masses of the people determine history, not no Democrat, not no Republican. So the masses of the people need to come together to change the course of history. Thank you. I'd like to thank you, Carla, for your contribution to today's program. And we now will go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. Thank you, Brother Africa. Uh, Certainly we want to remember Palestine. Palestine definitely needs our support. Uh, uh, we need to politicize people who are not conscious of, about the situation in Palestine to make them more aware. Um, we have to keep them in mind. Uh, also, Julian Assange, uh, um, uh, he's, he's in a prison in, in, in the U.K., and uh, the U.S. is trying to 
extradite him to the U.S., I guess, or whatever, and uh, and we have to fight uh, for his rights. Uh, definitely, you know, Pan-Africanism is on the move, and uh, let us keep it that way. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. We now will move to Brother Haki. Your final thoughts for the night, Brother Haki. Yeah, the the situation uh, for our people is becoming increasingly critical. Um, we got to understand the correlation between what happened in the past uh, with what happens currently. Uh, and understanding that, then we have an obligation in terms of organizing uh, to create proper conditions in our community, particularly to benefit our children. Uh, you know, one of the things is very, very clear, you know, capitalism has no uh, res- responsibility to humanity. And because there's a responsibility to humanity, it doesn't have a responsibility to our community. So having understand that, we, we got to get about the business of building an institution because it's so, so critical. And I do understand the question of fear, but nonetheless, you know, uh, you know, with that, even if you feel fearful, then we have no other obligation but to stand. And as Closing Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Brother Haki. And Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that we must intensify our level of organization in order to achieve Pan-Africanism, the uh, one unified socialist Africa. And to learn more about that, please visit our website, www dot a dash aprp dash gc dot org and you'll also find out more information about the history of the all african people's revolutionary party gc thanks for having me brother africa and we thank you as well brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program and to all our listening audience we always are grateful for you giving us the opportunity to come to your homes in the, on Sunday evenings where we can speak truth to power and value information so that you can say what we're going to do right now, we will let you know the next week there will be a continuation of the segment, Issues That You Need to Know, Part 3. And right now what we're going to do, we're talking about this whole electoral process and the conditions of African people. We're going to bring on Brother Kwame Ture and share some things with you in terms of lessons that you left for us to learn. We can start off with religion and revolution. Until then, we'll see you next week, same time, same station. Let's always strive to go forward with our backwards novel. This has been Africa on the Moon. Oh, it will be solved. There's a difference between revolution and reform. Big difference. In reform, a man observing a foundation, observing a system, sees many problems. But he assumes that there's nothing wrong with the system. The foundation of the system for him is a good system. Thus, what he seeks to do is to change the building as best he can, but he wants to leave the foundation intact. Example, if I came to this building, it's Ackerman Hall, is it not? If I came to Ackerman Hall and I looked at the foundation, the foundation was falling. It was just falling, couldn't possibly stand. If I were a reformist, I'd say, okay, put a piece of board over that. So we cover the foundation. We haven't touched it. And then I'll come here and say, put a window there. Put a door here. Put a frame here. Put two rooms where there used to be one. What I'm doing is reforming the system. I am trying to make it look different, but I'm keeping the same rotten foundation. You must understand that because this country is full of reformists. 
black people notwithstanding. And these reformists have a tendency to deceive you to let you believe that things are really being changed when in fact the foundation has not been touched and the longer it stays, the more rotten it becomes. The more rotten it becomes. A revolutionary comes into the building, observes Ackerman Hall and says, looks at the foundation and said, hey, this foundation is filthy, it's rotten, it's corrupt. It must be torn up. A new one must be put in its place. Once he makes that decision, and once that theoretical decision which he's made is demonstrated actively in his day-to-day -day life, you have a revolutionary. Thus, a revolutionary is not someone who seeks to reform a system. He's someone who seeks to replace it. I'm a revolutionary. I'm not a reformist. I want the American system destroyed. It must be destroyed and has to be replaced. It has to be replaced. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Again, I'm not calling for revolution. I see it coming, and I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I've been the victim too long, so I want to be part of the solution. I am saying that all of us must opt for revolution. All of us must opt for revolution. Now, revolution is very scientific. There's nothing emotional about it. There's nothing emotional about it. President Sekou Toure, a wise and courageous African revolutionary, says that in revolution there is no sentimentality. There is none. Whether I like something or do not like something, it is scientifically determined for me, thus I must do it. So I have no sentiments involved in my work. I just have to do what I have to do, and I will do it the best way I can. Best way I can. Now, revolution, we said, follows scientific laws. If you come and you look at the foundation and you see the foundation is rotten and you say that you want to replace this foundation, you want a new system, you're asking for revolution. Because what you're saying is that you want another system where there is a system. And we know scientifically that no two things can occupy the same place at the same time. I mean, that's logic. So if you say that uh, you're against capitalism and you want another system put in the place of capitalism, then all you're saying is that you want revolution because capitalism and this other thing cannot occupy America at the same time. Only one, only one will occupy it. Only one will be dominant. Thus, if you say you want revolution, you understand you're talking about scientific principles. Two systems cannot occupy the same space at the same time. I'm opposed to capitalism. I seek, I seek an economic system which must follow the principles of scientific socialism. This system must come, will come, all over the world, America notwithstanding. It must come and will come. To and Africanism must come from the bottom up, from the mass of the people up. It is here then that we'll come to see the real aspect of Pan-Africanism. We said that in the Fifth Pan-African Congress, they called for mass organizations, and immediately mass organizations sprang up throughout the length and breadth of the African world. The Conventional People's Party, a mass party, sprang up in Ghana. The Democratic Party of Guinea, a mass party, sprang up in Guinea. Throughout the length and breadth of Africa, you had the TANU, the Tanzanian African National Union, which is now the CCM. My Swahili is uh, not as good as yours. It's Chimpa, Chimpuraza, Mazuri. That's very good. Oh, <laughs> my, my Swahili is bad. <laughs> Thank you. Puduzi. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, that's their new party. But all over Africa, mass parties sprung up. If you look at the Caribbean, mass parties sprung up. And if you look at the United States, mass movements sprang up. So the call was heeded for mass confrontation. 
Of course, the Fifth Pan-African Congress made two definite and precise resolutions which I want to uh, highlight. Of course, Pan-Africanism from the very beginning was anti-colonial. From the very beginning it was anti-colonial. It was weak. So when they came, they didn't say to the Queen, we're going to put you out of the country. They said, you must treat the natives right. You must educate them. You must prepare them for self-government. These are things that are weak, but they were anti-colonial in essence. We must not look at the form. And we got stronger, the more this anti-colonialism will express itself. Now, anti-colonialism is nothing but anti-capitalism. Because colonialism is nothing but an offshoot, an aspect of capitalism. Therefore, if you're anti-colonial, you must be anti-capitalist, if you're logical in your thinking, of course, and your actions. Some people are not, but we are speaking of logical people here. <laughs> if you're anti-capitalist, then you must be socialist. Capitalism cannot unite Africa. Africa has to be united by socialism. Now, there's a lot of confusion here on this question of capitalism and socialism. Just recently, a young man said to me, but socialism died. I said, it did. He said, you didn't hear about it. I said, I missed the funeral. <laughs> of course, he spoke about the betrayals that occurred in the East. You must not let capitalism confuse your thinking. This is a struggle which Pan-Africanism takes on. We struggle against imperialism in the illogical arena because many people think that capitalism just wants to exploit your labor. It wants to confuse your thinking and make you think just like them. And this is where the real fight occurs. So therefore, this struggle of confusing the thinking, I told the man, I said, you're talking nonsense. Socialism cannot uh, uh, disappear. It cannot die. He said, yes, it can. I said, no. He said, how do you say that? I said, well, you are judging uh, socialism by socialists. You don't do that. He said, I've never heard such nonsense. If you don't judge socialism by socialists, what do you judge it by? I said, you judge it by its principles. Every system is judged by its principles, never its adherence. So he still saw confusion. He said, you're just talking double talk. I said, okay, do you judge Christianity by Christians? <laughs> So we must not be confused here. Socialism doesn't fall because of betrayal. No system does. The person who betrays themselves goes to the mud, but the system with its eternal principles keep marching on. If a system fell because of betrayal, Christianity would have been finished with Judas. At least Judas had the dignity to hang himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these who betray socialism don't have that dignity. Gorbachev still runs around speaking and picking up 30 pieces of silver everywhere. Yeah. So uh, socialism is an economic system. And there can only be two in the world, capitalism or socialism, because every economic system must answer one fundamental question. Who will own and control the wealth of the country? Who will own and control the means of production? The question can only be answered two ways. Either a few will own or everyone will own. It's as simple as that. And under capitalism, we say, please, please summarize that we might have. No, I'm going. I thought I had 20 minutes. It's my I thought I had 20 minutes. I was going by the clock. How much time do I have left? I'm sorry, maybe I'm off. That's what I thought I did. I was watching it. Now I'm watching my clock. I'm a responsible. I'm rev revolutionary. I go by time. I got my clock right here. In fact, I can say it in two words, black power. <laughs> and today we've gone to one, Pan-Africanism. <laughs> yeah. So there are only two economic systems, and it's going to be capitalism or socialism. Capitalism is a backward system. There's no need to discuss it. Certainly anyone who's been made a slave by capitalism ought to be hesitant in trying to support the system. But as a conscious African, I must be against capitalism and I must, of course, seek to destroy it. So in, when you speak of Pan-Africanism, you must understand you speak of socialism. And we want to underline there's only one socialism out here, and that's scientific socialism, whose principles are abiding and universal. There's no such thing as African socialism, Chinese socialism, Russian socialism, Arab socialism. There's only one socialism. 
The confusion arises over ideology, that is, that which guides you towards your objective. So we're saying clearly here, Pan-Africanism is not an ideology, it is an objective, it is an achievable. Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. All we want is a unified continent with a socialist system, that's all. But you know Africa is the richest continent in the world. When she's properly organized, she'll be the most powerful. Yeah, of course. Of course, and me, all I want is power. <laughs> I'm not like others. I don't want money. I don't want popularity. I just want the power I'm supposed to get. That's all. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Thank you. 